0: So for the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be specifically in Revelation 12, because that is just this crazy thing. Uh, Revelation's crazy, all right? Can we just establish that? Um, I was talking to Isaac and David this morning. I said, there are guys who have spent their entire lives, like 50, 60 years of ministry, studying the book of Revelation and trying to decode it and unlock it and explain it. And I am not one of those guys. I don't want to claim to be one of those guys. I've read stuff by a bunch of those guys. I've heard a bunch of those guys. I'm not one of those guys. And, And so we're just going to talk about Revelation 12. In the context of the whole Bible so hang on tight um, when I was a kid my grandma's house we go down in the basement and it was fun to play in the basement and she had like this uh, like a wood little wood-burning stove and then this gas heater and then my grandpa had this big box of wood that you would put in the wood-burning stove to burn stuff and then there's this big stone chimney that was in the middle of the house that the furnace hooked into and all that. And so there was a, a, a lap, a loop, and I could, had this little pedal car and I could go down the basement and there was this strip of water that were, the basement always leaked in this one spot and it made like this stream across the floor. And I would drive my, get in my pedal car and I would go around and around that chimney, just race, race, race. And I would go through that little stream of water, and it would get, it was so tiny, it would just get like on maybe four inches of the wheels, and then, you know, I'd make marks, and that was how I would count how many laps I had did. I mean, I'm like four, you guys, little. And it was so much fun, and I could be down there, and at some point, I was old enough that my grandma felt confident she'd leave me down there by myself, I wasn't going to get into trouble, everything's cool. And I was a really good kid, Halo. And I would race around. When it was time to go upstairs, I would go to the steps, and I would get to about the third step, and I just knew that there was this monster in the basement coming up the stairs right behind me, about ready to grab my feet. And I would run as fast as I could, terrified. (sighs) And her um, basement door went right into the kitchen. And I would always... There was like a landing, like three steps away. And I'd make it to that landing. And there's the basement door, or the, the kitchen door. And I knew I was safe. I could see my grandma. There's the kitchen. There's light. I mean, the, the basement was bright as could be. There were lights everywhere. Oh, I was safe. And then I would, you know, be calm. Walk up into the kitchen. Never let my grandma know. I'm sure she totally knew. I was terrified of all the hands coming out from under the stairs, all that. That was how I lived my life for like, I don't know, 25 years. (laughs) Living in my own house now, and every once in a while I come up the stairs, I'm like, (laughs) my basement is 10 times scarier than my grandma's basement ever was. Cindy is saying amen glory yes well at some point I'm 45 okay I'm going up the stairs and I'm like this is ridiculous all the monsters would have already eaten me they're not waiting for me to get to the stairs and I chill out and I relax and I come up the stairs I can carry a lot more things up the stairs when I'm not terrified it's very helpful I, uh, my pulse, my Fitbit doesn't go off that I've maxed out my target heart rate when I'm coming up the stairs, when I'm not terrified. I say all that to say, doesn't a lot of stuff change when you're not afraid anymore? When you, you know, either by logic or by just being worn out and saying, you know what, I just can't be afraid anymore. We had it in our neighborhood when we first moved into our neighborhood and we heard gunshots. I would immediately go around the house, and I'd peek in on every kid. Is everybody okay? And now I'm kind of like, you know what, the Lord's going to protect us. The Lord, I mean, meteors fall out of the sky and, and kill people. You know, what? you can't walk in fear. God will protect us, and God will take care of us. And so now we hear gunshots, and, and we still react, and we still respond, but I'm not responding in fear. Well, I hope Revelation 12 transforms us like that and takes away our fear. But it's going to start by being really scary. So, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. John is having a vision. He is seeing these things that are just marvelous and outrageous. And he's having trouble describing them, but he's trying. He says, A great sign appeared in heaven. As soon as this opening word, a great sign appeared. That means everything he's talking about stands for something. So nobody, I mean, I can't tell, but nobody right now is outside at the Westminster Church sign thinking that they're going to church. Right? It's a sign. The church is in here. So whatever he's talking about means something else. It's not the thing. That'll be important here in a minute. He sees this great sign. It's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head is a crown of 12 stars. So uh, clothed with the sun is the sunshine, the, the big ball of fire at the center of our solar system. She is clothed with that, just blinding, blinding light. She has a crown that has 12 stars in it. She's standing on the moon. She has the moon. No, no, no. It doesn't say she's standing on the moon. She has the moon under her feet. So if you go into Catholic churches, you will see statues of Mary. Mary. And she'll have a crown of 12 stars and she'll be standing on the moon. That's not exactly right. Like, that's fine poetry or whatever. This isn't Mary. There's another place in scripture where a person, so to speak, is described as stars, sun, and moon, and it's in Genesis. Joseph has a dream. And in his dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to him. And so he tells his brothers, he sits down with his 11 brothers and his mother and his father, who is his father is Jacob, also known as Israel. And he says, I had a dream that y'all were bowing down to me. So who's y'all? Y'all is the the house of Israel, the family of Israel, Israel and his 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes. And so here you have a woman clothed with the sun, standing on the moon and 12 stars, which Joseph would have been one of those. Right. There she is. So a lot of people, um, a lot of people think this is this could be Israel. There's a lot of other places in Scripture where Israel is spoken of as God's wife. Israel is the bride of God. Um, This is really heavy in the book of Hosea. This is heavy in uh, Isaiah. It also talks about that Israel is is God's bride. She's pregnant. This is verse 2. She's pregnant and she's crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So you've got this this woman clothed with the sun, with her feet on the moon. She has 12, she's crowned with 12 stars. The other thing that 12 always means is the 12 tribes of Israel. So she's crowned with the tribes of Israel. Like her glory, her her show of her authority, her show of, of her majesty is the 12 tribes. Well, What's the glory of Israel is the 12 tribes, right? So that points to that too. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. So this red dragon appears. The red dragon has seven heads and 10 horns, Um, So my son, David, he's real into like drawing and design stuff. And I said, Dave, oh, you know what that means? They didn't have symmetry. They weren't evenly distributed. He said, oh, that drives me crazy. That has to be the devil. So there's seven heads, ten horns. On the heads are seven diadems. A diadem is, is like a jeweled crown. So you have... This woman who's crowned with 12 stars. You have this dragon that has seven heads and uh, 10 horns and seven crowns. So all this gets into Hebrew numbers and and what what the Hebrew language thought about numbers and what Hebrew people thought about numbers. So seven was perfection. So this... This dragon is sort of a mockery, sort of poking fun, sort of a, a, a mockery. Um, what's uh, Weird Al makes the songs. Um, of, right, it's a spoof. It's it's making fun of it by imitation. You know, I've got the perfect number of heads. I've got I have horns for ten tribes. A horn. Throughout the Bible, a horn, even in the altar and in the tabernacle, a horn is strength, something of strength. So this dragon is is mocking. It's got the perfect seven is a perfect number. So it's got the perfect number of heads. It's got the perfect number of of crowns. But it's imperfect. It's, It's evil. It's this great red dragon. Um, and on his heads are seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he would devour it. So the woman is struggling in pain. She is clothed with the sun. On her feet is the moon. She has the crown of, of twelve stars. And this seven-headed dragon is lying in wait to devour her child as soon as it's born. Other crazy thing that seems really popular with preachers was to... I, I read across three different sermons that, um, that all said this, that they wanted to have a nativity scene that looked like this. Which, I think that would scare everybody, right? So there's this dragon... Um, This is all the scene. So what's going to happen? She gave birth to a male child. And uh, let's see. Oh, wait, we forgot his tail. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. There are a lot of places in Scripture where whenever it talks about stars in heaven, it either means, remember God's promise to Abraham, that your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So these are people. Or these are part of the heavenly hosts. There's some some places where the prophets talk about the stars as being angels. So the, the, um, the dragon with his tail swept a third of the angels and cast them to the earth. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven cast them to earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he would devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Um, This mighty, this mighty boy. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So as soon as the child is born, the The child, well, it doesn't say as soon. The child is caught up to God in his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So, I I, I want you to hold all this in your head. There's this woman. You see how she's dressed, what she looks like. She is uh, having this just writhing in pain, about to have a baby. There's this dragon, this uh, seven-headed ten-horned, seven crowns, about to devour the baby. Its tail swipes and knocks a third of the stars in heaven down to the earth. The child is born, and God scoops the child up and takes him to his throne. And this child is going to rule, Rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Mighty, strong. Then the woman flees to the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. And she's going to be there for this set amount of time. So John sees all of this. And John is a good Jewish kid. And he has been trying to understand the law all of his life. He's been immersed in it. He's never watched any movies. He's never seen a TV show. He's never read a book. Everything he's ever done has been reading the Old Testament, talking about the Old Testament, hearing people. Every Sunday he would go and hear all the old guys talk about the Old Testament and talk about what this could mean, what that could mean. So as he sees all of this, things are going to come to mind. Things are going to come up. As he writes it down and distributes it to the Jewish believers in Christ, they're going to hear things. Things are going to come up. Like Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let's burst, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. Kings of the earth are rebelling against God. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. So, all of a sudden, we realize God has been talking about his son ruling with an iron scepter since he spoke through David in Psalm 2. So what's going to happen to this little child that was caught up? He's going to rule with an iron scepter. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So this little child that was born to this spectacular Amazing woman that was born, that was about to be eaten by this dragon has been rescued by God and is the Messiah, is the savior of the world that will rule all nations with an iron scepter. Hmm. So the baby's born, whisked away to God's throne. The woman is whisked away to the wilderness. The dragon is angry. Because he couldn't eat the sun. That's what he wanted to do. You know how when you watch a movie and you see the hero and he does all this stuff and then they skip over to the comic relief and the comic relief is doing a whole bunch of stuff. Is the, when the comic relief you know, guy is doing all this business, is the hero just sitting over here hmm, 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 waiting for the camera to come back onto him? No, it's all happening at the same time. Even though we're watching it like a movie, scene one, scene two, scene three, they're all happening at the same time. So Revelation 1 through 6, Revelation chapter 12 verses 1 through 6 are a description of what happened. But then, Revelation chapter 12 verses 7 through 10 might be this exact same thing happening just told in a different way, through a different camera. So listen to this. A war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So you could either describe it as there's this spectacular spectacle of a woman that was writhing in pain and about to give birth, or it was Michael and his angels. And they warred against Satan. And there's Satan, and he's like this this dragon that wants to devour the baby that's about to be born, or he is the devil fighting against him, fighting back against Michael. And this war happens and you could describe it as the, the devil's tail swept a third of the angels, swept a third of the stars and cast them down. Or you can say Satan, the deceiver and his angels were thrown down with him. So, they're all covering sort of the same way, the same, I mean, we're talking cosmic stuff, so you can describe it in a couple different ways. Well, what I love to do, whenever things get confusing, and I can tell by your eyebrows that they are, I love to say, okay, is this important? Who, who's going to define whether this is important or not? Jesus is. So let's figure out, I do this, you guys, I do this with tongues, I do this with miracles, do this with forgiveness and confession. Anytime anything comes up, figure out what Jesus said about it. Jesus said something about all of this in Luke 10. So Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72. And it's significant that in Luke 10, he sends out the 72. Because if you asked, you know, if you ask Grace to draw Asia, she'll draw it for you. She can draw it for you in all the countries in Asia. She can draw America. She can draw South America. She can draw all these things. Geography. Brainiac. If you asked a Jewish kid that was on the street in Luke 10, how many nations are there in the whole world? He would say 72. That's how many nations there were in in their mindset how many different languages are there in the whole world? Seventy-two. So when Jesus sends out 72 disciples to preach the gospel, it's showing I'm sending them to the whole world. We're sending, we're sending people out everywhere. We're not just trying to save the Jews, God's chosen people, but all the Gentiles, 72 languages of them. So Luke chapter 10, the, uh, verse 17, the 72 Return with joy. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're celebrating even demons, even angels of Satan submit to us in the name of you, in your name, Jesus. And they are celebrating that. And I mean, this has never happened before. This is this is unheard of. Jesus says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Listen, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Who's the serpent? The devil. I've given you power to trample on him. What? Yes. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy And nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus mentions watching Satan fall like lightning to earth. Now, does that mean he was really fast? Right? Maybe. Does that mean it was able to be seen for miles and miles? Maybe. Doesn't mean it was it was just this cataclysmic event, just crash of a of a lightning bolt, maybe. It, it could be all of those things, right? The Hebrew Hebrews they, they talk real flowery and real um, they you know they use a lot of expressions, a lot of colorful expressions. But Jesus saw this happen and um, saw him fall. And he talks about it, not in the context of Be afraid. The devil's among us. He's been thrown down here. He talks about it in the context of, oh yeah, you guys, I've given you authority over all that. Don't be afraid. I've given you total authority over the devil and all of his schemes. His word is, I've given you authority to step on them, to walk over the top of them, So this isn't even authority like a fight, you know, like the movies would have. Even uh, you can go to the vineyard and you used to be able to get Christian comic books and there'd be these guys fighting against demons and all this business. It's not even like that. I have authority to walk over them. Do I even know what I just walked over? I didn't look, right? I didn't even pay attention. That's how unafraid, unafraid we have to be of the devil and his ways. But Jesus is... Word was, don't rejoice in that. The devil does not even deserve the attention of us celebrating that we can walk over the top of him. Think that through for a minute. He doesn't even deserve the attention that we would celebrate the fact that we have the authority to walk over the top of him. Not even that. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you're written, your names are written in heaven. So on the whole business of this woman writhing in pain, about to give birth, there's this dragon with seven heads that wants to devour the child. Michael has this war in heaven, and the devil fights against him and loses and is cast down. All of that, as magnificent as it is, Jesus says, Oh yeah, you have authority over all that stuff, but don't even rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that you have been saved. The salvation is... Remember what happened. That woman that birthed the Son of God was taken to the wilderness. All through Scripture, wilderness is... A place where spiritual transformation and growth happens. Every time somebody goes in the wilderness in the Bible, every time, whether they go all by themselves, if it's Hagar and she goes out into the wilderness by herself, whether it's Jacob and he goes out into his wilderness and um, sleeps on a rock, discovers God is there and wrestles with God, whether it's all of Israel going out of Egypt into the wilderness, when it's Jesus 40 days in the wilderness, it's a place of spiritual transformation and change. And so what happens if that woman that's giving birth represents Israel? What if she represents the, the lineage from Adam and Eve, and she's taken to the wilderness? That's where all of us are. Right. We're all taken to the world to go through spiritual transformation, to change and to grow up. Back to Revelation. God gives his own commentary on this. So Michael fights with the devil, the angels cast down to the world. The woman gives birth to a child. All of that is happening. It's all one big thing. Revelation 12, 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Isn't that wild? All of that scheme happens and God's commentary on it is, now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. See, in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. There's Adam and there's Eve and there's all the animals and there's perfection. And nobody could desire a thing. And God looked at it and he said it was good, right? He said it was good six times. The only thing that he said wasn't good was for man to be alone and then here's Eve and everything's good they fall they sin and God makes a promise and he says to Eve from your seed will come salvation from your from one of your descendants will come salvation and so back to revelation 12:11 Salvation has come. They've conquered him. So God says, The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day or night. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even till death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, but woe to you, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. The devil is thrown out of heaven with a third of all the angels in heaven. And they're on earth. And there they are. And the fall can happen. This is verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. So the devil's going to attack creation, mankind, people, because through the birth of a man comes the salvation of our God. Yes, salvation is going to come through this birth, and the devil doesn't want that to happen, so he is after the woman. The woman goes off to the wilderness. The serpent pours water out like a river out of his mouth. So all the movies, there's fire-breathing dragons. In this vision, it's a water-breathing dragon. Sweep her away, but the earth comes to help the woman. Remember, this is all just a vision. The earth comes to help the woman. The earth opens its mouth, swallows all the water that came out of the dragon's mouth, and then the dragon is furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So look at world history, and you go back, and like, I mean, we'll start in Exodus. Pharaoh hates the Jewish people, and he wants to kill them. And he says to all the the Hebrew mothers, he's like, kill all the sons. Whenever a child is born, and the and the uh, nursemaids, the doulas, the women that are helping the babies be born, they go. These Hebrew, they don't want to do it. They go. These Hebrew children are so hardy, the women give birth to their children before we ever have a chance to go in there and kill all the babies. They're just too strong for us. Pharaoh's trying to wipe out all of the Hebrews. Why? Because the devil wants to wipe out the line from Adam and Eve that will give birth to the Messiah. There's even some Bible scholars that say when Abraham was traveling around, remember how Sarah was super beautiful, and Abraham would show up with her, and he'd be like, man, if they find out you're my wife, it's going to be bad. They're going to kill me, and they're going to take you. So say that you're my sister. And all of that, that all threatened the line of Abraham. Because if if one of them would have taken Sarah to be their wife and had a child with her, it would have messed up this pure line of Abraham, right? So even that, there's this war against Adam and Eve's offspring. And um, Esther, book of Esther, when Haman wants to kill off all the Jewish people, just kill off the whole race of them, complete genocide, destroy them all, and, and Esther saves the day, right? And Mordecai and, and all that. We didn't spit when I said Haman. We're supposed to be mad and yell. Egh. So you've got this long line of the devil working through politics, working through culture to wipe out God's people because he knows that his time is short. Right? That's um, Verse 12. Rejoice, heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, o earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. He knows that his time is short. So here we are, right? Um, if you look at church history, this has continued. And I, I don't, I don't want to have a... I don't, I'm not one of these people that has a church persecution complex and just thinks that everybody's against the church in every way. Um, but if you look at church history, there is a lot of persecution that has happened even in the last three or 400 years against God's people, against the Jewish people, and against the church, um, throughout the Protestant Reformation, there was persecution that was happening. There's persecution in um, in the Muslim world right now that Christians are being persecuted in a mighty way. This is all the devil, knowing that his time is short, trying to work through culture, trying to work through you know politics and various things to make things hard. Jesus didn't talk about that like we should be all woe is me and paranoid and everybody's against the church oh they took prayer out of schools and that's just the beginning of the end Jesus didn't talk like that how did Jesus talk I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven and I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions I've given you authority over all over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So what happens if I live like that? What happens if I live in such a way the devil wanted to get that woman and destroy her and a flood of water came out of his mouth and the earth opened up and swallowed all that water and rescued her. That's crazy, right? What is the worst thing, if I'm a first century Jewish person, what's the worst thing I could be afraid of? I mean, I could be afraid of the government rising up against me. It would be pretty crazy if a flood of water came dashing at me and the whole earth swallowed it up and and drank it. I have nothing to be afraid of. Even this, this lady, she grew wings like an eagle And flew away into the wilderness to be safe. Isn't it awesome? She was not. The son that was born was taken away to the throne of heaven. But the woman who I think is is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the bride of God. Was taken to the wilderness to grow. Was taken to the wilderness to get to know God. God. To grow in God. She is always rescued. She wasn't, um, there's places in, in Revelation where there are cities, and the, there's big, majestic cities. And until Revelation 20, earlier on, all the cities are Babylon. And she is a despicable woman, and you don't even want to look at her. It's not this woman. And it, it's just this, oh, filthy, despicable woman. You'd be shamed. You'd be shamed if I talked about her. And I I don't even want to talk about how shameful she is. God does not rescue that woman, this woman, to a city, he rescues her to the wilderness. And so there's this sort of intention here that there's an activity going on, that there's something going on. You go to a throne when you're going to rest, and when you're going to reign, and when you're going to rule. You go to a wilderness when you're going to grow. You go to a wilderness when you're going to engage and interact with God and change into something different. And that's where we are, guys. We are that lady that's in the wilderness. We are are people that are in the wilderness and we're growing. And God is growing us. But we have no fear at all. No fear at all. I have a, a family member who was in the secret service. And I've talked to him about being in the secret service before and guarding you know, these very powerful people. And he said one of, the, one of the trickiest things about it was when he was in the Marines, and then when he was, in a, he was a policeman, you were always trained that when somebody shot at you, you would duck and cover, and you would hide, and you would shoot from that hiding place. But when you become a secret service agent, you are the cover. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with this dude's bill or this dude's law or, you know, what he did with this person on staff, you're guarding him. And he said, the number one thing you start to learn is when a shot is fired, you become as big as you can become. And then you shoot back, which is the opposite of what the Marines and the police do, right? That, I heard that when I was a little kid and that has stuck with me my whole life. Like how bold, how brave do you have to be to be that guy? How much of our lives do we deal with fear like this? How many times do we think, oh, oh, this, oh, this terrible thing, is happening and we cringe what if Jesus gave us the power to trample on everything that would cause fear anything that can cause fear you have authority to walk over we went out to um, Westman Park and we're hiking in the trails on the day after Christmas because it's 60 degrees and what in the world Evansville and we're walking along, and I told the kids, hey, guys, quit looking at the path. Because if you keep looking down at the path, all you're going to see is leaves. Look out and see how far you can see through the woods. Because it's winter. There's no leaves on the trees. We can see super far. Look out really far. Look up really big. And I think our whole, our whole day changed. Because, you know, you walk through the woods, and you're kind of like this. Right? Right? And I think that's how we approach the TV news. And I think that's how we approach our trip to the doctor. I think that's how we approach our Facebook feed, right? What am I I afraid of here? What if we walk through it just like, rawr? I have authority to trample on Satan. But that's not even what I'm going to pay attention to. I'm not even going to be happy about that. That's that is so nondescript, I'm not even going to be happy about that. Have I rejoiced at all this morning that I have clean water that won't give me Jardia? I haven't, because that's just such, it's no big deal, right? What if that's how we treated Satan? I have so much authority, my name is written in heaven, I can walk through, I don't even have to look at the path, and I can just rejoice. And whatever brings fear to me, I can just walk over it and not even pay attention to it. Because I don't have to be afraid of anything. Because now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Revelation 12.10. Now they have come. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, cast away, whatever. Whatever. Do not accuse me. That's the perspective Jesus brings to Revelation 12. Revelation 12 is the whole cosmic story that wraps up all of creation, Adam and Eve in the garden, the fall, all of the struggle of life up until Jesus was born. Jesus dies, raises from the dead. Casts down the accuser, gives us all authority, and all the way to the end. All wrapped up by that statement. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Advent. Thank you that you came in the flesh to live a perfect life, walk among us, and to teach us the authority that we have. That you gave it to us by your grace and your mercy. That nowhere in there did you put a condition on it, except that we believe in you. And we do, Lord. So help us to walk in this. Help us to walk over our fear that we wouldn't even notice it again. That we would stand tall in your righteousness, in your holiness, in your peace. And rejoice that our names are written in your book, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 443 together.